It's doom and gloom week on this energy and materials edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is February 25th, 2016, and joining me to talk all things energy and materials is Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. What's up, guys? Howdy, howdy, We're howdy. Back. Um, so, diving right in here. Making it sound really bad. Doom and gloom. I mean, could we have actually called... What else are we supposed to do in our sector? Well, what else are we gonna supposed say, to do? We could <laughs> probably have called... Any week for the past eighteen months, doom and gloom week. I could have no, I could have alluded to that guy. On, it's always on Yahoo, the that Faber guy or whatever. It's Doctor Doom. Oh, it's Doctor yeah. Doom Day, or I don't know. Anyway, I, it just seems like for the past eighteen months, all we've talked about is like the bad news, doom and gloom. It seems like why don't we just call it the Doom and Gloom Show? Because it's all gone are the to- days of our old energy the show. Digging for just value. before the dawn, Mister Crew. <laughs> digging for value is all fluff pieces about how great energy was doing. Yeah. Um, so okay. So you got to your point. Literally, everybody's not doing so well right now. That's what we wanted to do was dive in and not pick out the whole sector if we're just stinking up the joint. But who got particularly pummeled in you know the last couple of months? Um, who did so badly that they just stand out and probably deserve to go bankrupt or well, something? Well, who, who goes I first? I, I hate saying somebody deserves to go bankrupt. It nobody just, deserves so, to go it bankrupt. It sounds so so harsh. Yeah, some people deserve to go bankrupt. <laughs> Ta- Taylor's. If you believe what Saudi Arabia said the other day, he's like, what, what did he say at that conference? He was in Houston. He's just like he said, lower costs, lower costs, or, or get out. Yeah, well, basically. Yeah. Thank you so much for that sound economic principle. Anyway, all right. Uh, so who's up first? I guess I will start. And one company that uh, did really it, – it's been kind of one that we've talked about uh, in the Motley Fool universe for a while. I do know it was a Motley Fool recommendation um, yeah, a while ago. For, for a little while is Ultra Petroleum. Um, They're nat gas mostly. Nat, they are a natural gas Don't let player. the name fool you. Don't let the name fool right. you. Um, mostly – Involved in what's called the Pinedale Powder River Basin area up in Wyoming. It's a very low cost, low decline, kind of conventional well, this, natural gas area. This is why they were a fool pick. They were the lowest cost right. natural gas producer. Sounds like a country club. Guy. Yeah. Pinedale. <laughs> yeah. Pinedale. <laughs> but um, the reason that they have struggled so much is because they were levered out the nose. I mean, they just had a debt load that was even three or four years ago looked unsustainable, even when gas prices were doing pretty well, everyone's like, you know, you guys have a pretty high <laughs> amount of debt on the balance sheet. What are you going to yeah. do about that? And um, as we've seen over the past, you know, I, I think actually this was a quote from management. It just basically gives you an idea of what's what's happened. He says, we had net debt of about $3.4 billion, which has been fairly consistent since uh, 2014. However... We have had EBITDA of approximately $800 million in 2014, $600 million in 2015, and forecast $300 million Ooh. in 2016. So basically they're saying that we're kind of Off the top of your it. head, do you know what their cost is? Because net, net gas is like at 2 bucks or whatever. So do you – any numbers come They're to right mind? around there actually. Okay. Here's, and here's the issue though is, is we've talked about them being the lowest cost, the lowest cost, lowest cost, which is great. Here's the other problem with it. It's all the way up in the mountains of Wyoming. <laughs> and because of that, and all of those like 
gas hubs like the Barnett Shale in uh, East Texas and you've got Anadarko Basin right in Oklahoma, those are much closer to the demand sources. And so the transportation costs down to the Gulf Coast where most of our natural gas is consumed – Every pipeline winds up is, in Houston. So is like, a lot yeah. less expensive. So the differential price that Ultra Petroleum is going to get because of that high transportation cost, their realized cost for actually selling it or realized price – is already baked in lower. So you can say that you're the low-cost producer, but then you also have to accept the fact that you're not going to get as robust of prices as Got everybody it. else. Man. All right. Taylor, who who had an unfairly rough last couple of months? Um, I don't think they're going to go bankrupt. Let's go ahead and prequel the, my is comments. Is Ultra bankrupt? No. no not yet. They're, almost, they're talking about okay. restructuring. They're talking, right. Bankruptcy yeah, yeah, yeah. is an there, option. There was a, a lot of talk on the conference call about Strategic alternatives. Strategic alternatives <laughs> and negotiating with our creditors. Yeah, I'm gonna make them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marathon Oil, um, according to Market Watch, first time in 20 years that it failed to turn a profit. Um, so not that great for a full no. year uh, of 2015. Because a lot of the other major big name whatever oil companies, they're still profitable. They're still so, profitable, yeah, yeah um, based on their metrics. But uh, they're also cutting spending next year by, or this year, 2016, by a little over 50%. Um, so they're still feeling the pain, cutting workforce by 20%. Uh, but the big thing here is that of that money that they're spending in 2016, 70% is going towards shale. So they're leaving very little room to spend on long tail projects, which is going to be the growth that you're going to see in five to 10 years. So I think that they're they're short changing themselves right. by spending all this money on money. I mean, because they need to, right? They need these upfront cash flows in order to sustain capital because yeah. they're already spending uh, more than double their their cash flow, right, on their capital expenditures in 2015. They're expected to spend more than they're going to bring in in 2016. So they need these immediate cash flows, and that's unfortunate because in five to ten years, what are shareholders going to have to hold on to? They're right. they're not going to continue to drive huge growth from shale for 15 more years. They're going to need these these deep water projects. They're going to need these these projects that don't require fracking and, and CO2 injections and water flooding. They need big projects, and they're not spending on it right now. It's kind of interesting because uh, ConocoPhillips did the exact same thing uh, when they announced their earnings a little while ago, is they are moving very, very far away from their deep water exploration, mm-hmm. deep water development project. And those and are the low-cost, long-tail things that you kind of want. I wouldn't say deep water is necessarily lower cost. Well, it's big upfront costs, right? later down the line. Yeah, you, you, you lower have lower decline barrel, rates, yeah. so you, you have a more... A consistent cash what's flow. What's the decline? It's like two or three percent on those things. Uh, a little higher than that. Okay, anyway. but it's not seventy percent. Yeah, it's not. Year. It's, it's not, not shale. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so my company is not an oil-related company at all, but it is uh, your friend and mine, Solar City. Yeah, I think the two of us are going to look at you very, very attentively here because we ha- <laughs> you have two shareholders in uh, Solar City looking. At <laughs> so, I swear, I did not do this just to. Kind of <laughs> He's doing it just doom and gloom. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, you guys know full well. Um, I just couldn't believe that this happened. But basically, I'm referring to the uh, the Nevada ruling that changed the rules for net metering within the state. Um, it basically made rooftop solar uneconomic, and they did it retroactively. Um, as I understand it, this is not a permanent decision. Could get you know changed in the future. Solar City obviously just bet the wrong way on this, uh, and they just did not need this right now. <laughs> I mean, not only did they you know kind of 
I wouldn't say bet the wrong way, but the minute that that uh, the ruling came out, the ruling came out, they basically fired everybody. In it's the like, all right, we're leaving. Like, I mean, that's it. it. Yeah, they they, they left. That's it's so. Ex- I could not. When I heard that, I was like, wow, this is really a big deal because they're. Well, it shows you that they're nimble, right? Right. If there's a state in the United States of America that's perfect for solar, (laughs) it's them in Florida. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Um, All right. So moving on to our next segment. Um, Two court cases that could kill pipeline companies' cash machine. Um, Our listeners are probably aware, if they've been just paying attention to a lot of our picks, but... We uh, all three of us have been saying that a lot of these pipeline players, like Spectra Energy and uh, you know Enterprise Products Partners and all those guys, um, they're kind of the babies that got thrown out with the bathwater in this huge market, you know, energy sell-off. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, and this is an article that was put out by the New York Times, um, two defunct companies, Sabine, 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 Sabine. I apologize. Oil and gas and Quicksilver Resources are, amongst other things, seeking to get rid of long-term contracts the two have with several midstream pipeline operators who count on the rates on these long-term distribution contracts to pay the dividends. Uh, worse yet, in, an, in the article that was put up in the New York Times detailing the situation, an unnamed judge is asserted to be inclined to allow Sabine to end its contract with a Chenier Energy subsidiary that operates the pipelines. Um, are you guys scared about this, and should we be selling all of our pipeline stocks now? This, I, I'm not completely certain how to fully digest this one yet. I mean, it, it's one of those things when you read it, it does certainly throw up a red flag. One of the biggest things that they're talking about in this is throwing out minimum volume commitments, which is something right. that has kind of ma- made hay for a lot of it's absolutely companies. guaranteed money. Right. Well, yeah. So the, the contract, as for our listeners, between Sabian and the Shenyer Energy subsidiary, it was guaranteed volumes through 2023. Right. So this is not small potatoes. Exactly. And so for some of these things, you know, you're talking about small piddling companies, you know, Sabian Oil and Gas and Quicksilver Resources right. weren't exactly the largest names when it came to selling oil and gas and using pipeline space. The the bigger fear is, is say you've got a large company. Ultra like Petroleum, Ultra for Petroleum, instance. or a Chesapeake Every Energy. Every favorite word is precedent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody like a Chesapeake Except Energy or something like that. <laughs> and then what if one of those companies goes to, you know, I, to a, a larger right. pipeline company and says, we can't meet these volume commitments anymore and we're going to take you to court on it. Uh, uh, you know, we've we've seen kind of the effects of that uh, over the past year, one company in particular, Williams Partners, more than 20 – I believe it's more than 20. It might be as high as 30 percent of their revenue stream comes specifically from Ch- Ch- uh, Chesapeake Energy. Wow. And with Chesapeake Energy in the financial straits that it is right now – Oh, they did just have an asset sale. Yeah, $700 million. But, you know, <laughs> if this minimum volume commitment contract Goes can out, get yeah. torn up – then you're looking at a pipeline company who's kind of left hat in hand, you know, how am right. I going to fill these pipes? Um, Taylor, I don't know how to word this, so I'm probably going to butcher it, but I was curious to get your thoughts. Isn't there an argument, if you're the Shenyer Energy subsidiary or just one of the pipeline companies, isn't there an argument to be made between, okay, listen, we've got these contracts with these guys. They're continuing to operate. Our contract isn't structurally the problem. They just got over leveraged, and they just need to talk to the bondholders. Isn't yeah? It's absolutely the case. It's like what the hell? Right. You sign this contract. Yeah, there's always you're still be, using us. There's probably. always going to be a point where you're in a contract for 15 years that 
there's going to be a better opportunity out there. You can't just jump ship. Right. I mean, the comments that they made, like, argue that they could save $35 million by ending the contract and then save millions more by building an entirely new system. Yeah, a- yeah exactly. <laughs> I could sell my gas-guzzling car that it's under lease and just not cancel the lease because I can and then get go a, get an yeah. EV and save tons of money on gas. But I'd have to pay a fee to get right. out of my lease. And, and when you're bankrupt, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's the thing. Like, Yeah, where's the money sh- coming from to build this magical pipeline from the sky? <laughs> like, this oh. Chenier company is obviously operating properly because they're not going bankrupt. Why right. are you going to save a company that operated itself out of funds? Right. If they're just probably going to do it again if they get bailed out. I mean, I don't yeah. understand it. No, it you're going to let this contagion spread to a sector that has largely been absolved from it and – I mean, just totally bonkers. Weird. Okay. It seems to me, and so let's put in the hypothetical situation as an investor, if this is something that is legitimately an issue. Um, One of the ways that I think you can maybe skirt or (coughs) help yourself as an investor avoid as much of this issue is to look further down the stream of the pipe. So when you have... A lot of the things that they're talking about here is mostly like gathering assets. So that's like taking an individual well and bringing it to a bigger pipe. Those are going to be the ones that are going to be at the most risk here because you know Quicksilver Resources isn't going to keep drilling at that specific right. well to keep that pipe filled. However, if you're to go from maybe like from a refiner to a distributor sort of pipeline network mm-hmm. or larger pipelines that have They're consolidated all yeah. that gathering, then you're looking at somebody who's probably going to be a little bit more stable because despite you could see 60%, 70% reduction on a gathering pipe, we're not going to see 10 20 30% production declines across the United States on large pipeline transportation networks. Right. Got it. Okay. Before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There you'll discover a uh, offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter at a fe- special discounted rate. That rate is $129 for a full two-year subscription. And once again, that is Focus.Fool.com. All right, so moving on. This is uh, it's a speculative story, but we have to talk about it. Um, how fast to. we do because oh, it's a big man, deal. Dad. It's a big deal. <laughs> this could destroy all of oil uh, forever. Fine, whatever. Um, basically, how fast could electric cars disrupt the oil industry? Um, Bloomberg just put out an interesting piece and a companion video under the headline: "Another oil crash is coming, and there may be no recovery." Um, goes on to talk about how peak oil was clearly a myth. We can also talk about that because I have some thoughts. Um, that once electric cars become increasingly popular uh, via mass adoption, uh, uh, which isn't not far away, according to them, it could be as early as 2023, um, oil screwed, basically. Uh, pardon my French in not so many terms. Uh, how seriously should we take this? What are the potential holes in this analysis? And anybody at this table selling their oil shares because of Tesla right now? No. Okay, but <laughs> we can leave now. This Bye. is this yeah, is we done. <laughs> this is like a pause for thought. Like I mean, it's definitely going to be a big deal. Um, I don't think in the next three to five years, which is what generally I'm looking at stocks to invest in for. You want the stocks that are going to be around ten, fifteen years, but you have to imagine that with most companies in five years, you're going to have to reevaluate your investment thesis, anyways. Um, but this is definitely something that I think energy investors need to be worried about if you're projecting like decades of cash flows because right. 
Um, the OPEC, OPEC, and Exxon seem well, to they be have that protection downplaying it to one percent of overall. They vehicles. had that video, and the OPEC has that report, and they're saying by twenty forty, yeah, one percent of the vehicles in the world are going to be electric. That Whereas, seems really low to me. Bloomberg but, says thirty five percent will be electric. So there's a lot more room for error from OPEC's point of view, right? Um, because it's not going to be less than what they expect, which would be a good thing for them. It's most likely going to be more than what they expect, which would be a bad thing for them. Right. Um, the thing here, I think, you look at the increase in electricity needs when you have that many cars on the road. Well, do we have enough lithium? I wanted to get your guys' yeah, thoughts on that. I think there's plenty like, of lithium out there. It's like okay. one of the most abundant resources in the ground. Okay, yeah. that's good. That's, um, that's really not an issue. Yeah. yeah, and so you've got that in cobalt. So maybe you look at some of these miners, but right now, they're like because it is so abundant, these miners right. haven't been doing all that well. Um, and then maybe some renewable utilities out there, because they're talking about needing 8% of current electricity use if this Bloomberg mm-hmm. um, projection is correct in 2040. Um, 8% of current production of electricity will be needed for electric vehicles. Wow. Go ahead. So I, I thought it was a very interesting thought piece. It really – one yeah. of the nice things about this is it, it makes you think about your thesis. And anybody who's a long-term investor, you know, it, it really gets your mind flowing and, and – trying to wrap your mind around some of the things that are going on that could totally transform industries and they're, they the things that the points that they make certainly have a case um, one of the things they talked about mostly was what's called the, the s curve it's a, a rate of adoption of a new technology and they, what they're saying is that we're going to see it, a, a rapid acceleration of the s curve in the adoption of electric vehicles mostly with Companies like Tesla Motors, Chevrolet, and I believe Nissan, they're all within the next couple of years looking to bring out an electric vehicle in the $30,000 range, which makes it certainly much more affordable than what we have seen in the past couple of years. Um, and then they made the comparison of rapid adoption of certain technologies. Uh, they mentioned things like refrigerators, microwaves, cell phones, things like that. And so it, there was the case to be made. And here were some of my like counterpoints where I'm kind of looking at it and going, okay, here are some of the things that don't I feel like don't quite jive with that idea. Um, let's start with the purchase and the adoption rate. Um, going to buy a refrigerator, a cell phone, something like that is a much more discretionary purchase. Right. Um, you know, five hundred dollars cell phone. Yeah, it's a you know maybe a couple weeks paycheck or something like that. But it's not a thirty thousand dollar purchase. You're you're not going to immediately go turn in your car just because there's a, a right. cheap EV. To, you to are your saving. Well, well, you are, I guess. You are well, saving. You're yeah. just cashing um, it in. Well, what about even like um, they're talking about? You know, there's a billion cars on the road right now in the world, and blah 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 blah. Um, we're having a hard time here in the United States getting to electric cars, and we have theoretically or could have pretty easily the infrastructure for all the charging stations right. everywhere and everything. That's going to be hard in emerging markets right. like India, Africa. I, it's going to be harder than it is here, and we're not doing it super right. easily. So, you know, the integration of the not just the electricity demand itself, but also the grid demands are going to be huge. And one of the things that I, I always feel like is is slightly underestimated. Uh, when we talk about these sort of things, you know, they always look at like the adaption rates in China and to a lesser degree India. But when we look at the developing world, there is a much, much wider swath that isn't really talked about a lot uh, when we talk about oil demand, uh, petroleum demand, things like that. And while we could see a, lar- a, a decent decline of use from the you know, developed nations such as ourselves, most of Europe, uh, in 
more and more becoming China, what are what are considered the OECD nations. But at the same time, those developing markets are growing at such a rapid pace, and the you know expansion of GDP, population, it, it I, I feel like the demographics of that are underestimated, and right. the demand for oil and energy are going to be so great from that that it, I, I don't necessarily see how robust that argument can hold up when you have that much demand coming online. The other thing that stuck out to me was the the peak oil point, and that's fine. I agree that peak $20 oil is gone, but I'm not so sure that peak oil always and forever at certain costs is gone. Um, Please clarify. Go on. Basically... Do tell. Well, okay, so you guys remember in like 2008 and the books were coming out like peak oil and all that stuff or whatever... Um, and then the, what they're talking about is that is now a defunct thesis or whatever. My point is, and uh, a lot of the analysis that I've read today is, that was correct for 20 to $30 oil. Saudi Arabia still produces for 10 to $20 per barrel. We can't. We're, what, shale's, what, 50 or $60? With Some people are pushing it down game. a little lower than that, but, but that's, like, that's prime-time yeah. acreage. Yeah. And not only that, but... Um, U.S. shale production is projected to peak in, like, 2021, and all of a sudden we're in a decline again. So I'm not so sure that – because the first point the video made was because of advanced technologies and unanticipated things, we have way more oil than we ever thought we would. But really this seems like more of a pause in a limited resource and our ability to get it out of the ground. Seems like a fair enough assessment. I mean, if you look back historically, there have been these times, you know, great example is the 80s where we were awash in oil and everybody said, yeah. oh, we're going to be fine forever. You had the North Sea, you had blah, blah, blah. Between, between the cycles of, oh, my God, we're, we can't find any more oil. Right. All of a sudden, 10 years later, we're like, oh, what are we going to do with all this oil? So, I mean, that's a, a certainly a valid point in terms of, you know, trying to take the the assessment that we have today and basically projecting it out. Well, it was just in 2008 that oil went up to 130, gave it a high five, and Goldman Sachs was talking about $200 oil. Yeah. This is just six years ago, and all this $20 talk is funny to me. But I mean, anyway. but they can figure out how to extract more out of the ground. I mean, we're leaving a ton of oil right. and natural gas in the shale, and so if you can figure out how to extract that, then... But that's pushing. expensive, which lends itself to my point. It is, and it has been in the past, but it, it always it's always gotten cheaper. I'm that not saying fair. it's going to continue to get as cheap as it has been, like percentage-wise, and, and as quickly, but... I mean, Baker we're going Hughes. really deep into this one. This today. is like, I like a deep this. Baker Hughes. Do we need like out. pipes or something to be doing this? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> we do need like no, pipes. Uh, like... Uh, maybe pipelines. Pipelines. <laughs> maybe pipelines. Um, but yeah, so cool. that's, that's my thought. Is like if we really need to, there's so much more underground we can get at. Deep, deep, yeah, way the deep. Human this is so deep. The human spirit, the human spirit, Taylor. <laughs> the American uh, spirit. Yeah, God. America, <laughs> America, man. We're, uh, we're the ones. Shale, that's ours. It is ours. Although, what's his name? Uh, McClendon is going to Argentina, doing a little shale so, drilling. Yeah, but that's American technology. Oh, here we go. Anyway, all right. Good doom and gloom show, guys. Good. Ended on an American high note. Yeah. There we go. We need a bald eagle to fly in here. That's anyway. right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was our the, all the money we spent on our uh, graphics yeah. budget right there. Thanks, Taylor. We got yeah. the, yeah. Collect uh, my royalties for that later. 
we'll give you a $5 bill. Um, all right. Well, if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Taylor Markman and Tyler Crow, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!